Welcome everybody to the Isocost podcast. Uh, today we're going to be talking about the new book, Shoulder Arthritis Across the Lifespan. We have uh, Giovanni Giacomo from Rome, Italy, and uh, we're going to have a little roundtable discussion, kind of giving you some of the highlights of what we've seen. So first question to you, Giovanni, uh, what is your really main plan for non-operative treatment in uh, shoulder arthritis? Uh, and does age matter? Do you adjust it based on age? Um, that my, my best advice is that give to the patient the right information. I explain the patient that they can improve 100% because of degenerative disease. And so my first goal is that they understand the type of disease they are suffering from. Then most of the time, I do some very light physio. I don't want they stress too much the physio because sometimes stressing too much this size, they can have pain more than normal. And uh, uh, in Italy, uh, many surgeons like me, we use hyaluronic acid. We make three shoot, one every uh, three weeks, uh, once a year. This is the standard treatment, in conservative treatment. But the main message is explain the patient the type of disease they are suffering. Yeah, that's a great comment. Um, I, I agree with you. Um, I think that uh, what we do in the United States as the uh, hyaluronic acid has not been approved by the FDA for the shoulder, we'll usually start frontline treatment with a corticosteroid injection. I agree with your comment on the physio. Sometimes uh, in that kind of disease state, it can cause more problems. So we try to get their range of motion and try to get them back to activities. Uh, when you're looking at x-rays, Giovanni, uh, CT scan or MRI, what specifics do you look for that really helps you do a better job in the OR? Oh, I look for the bone. Uh, and I look if there is a tilt of the glenoid, I look if there is a retroversion of the glenoid, if there is a B2 glenoid, a C glenoid. Uh, this is the best way to study the bone, of course, is the CT. And uh, always I use the MRI to have the right information on uh, fatty infiltration of the atrophy on the muscles, because you know very well that the big difference uh, between an anatomic reverse is the soft tissue. So I use the MRI to study the soft tissue and the CT uh, to study the bone. Is there any um, tricks that you have or do you do a 3D reconstruction or how do you analyze the CT? And then does that change the way you position a patient during the OR, say in a, a like a B3 or a very retroverted glenoid? Do you have any tricks to try to get better access to that? Oh, yeah, of course, uh, you know that now any prosthesis has a, a computer uh, model that we can study uh, very well with dedicated program. And so they give me the best information on the retroversion on the superior inferior tilt of the glenoid. So I, I use uh, to make a study through the computer that is dedicated for each prosthesis. They give us the best information. Yeah. I agree with you. We, uh, we do that as well. Um, I also have a guide that uh, we then are able to translate from the CT scan 
that we're able to use in the OR that's uh, it's actually reusable, comes in the set. So that positions my starting pin in the Glenway. The other thing that I've done is I make a small bump that I put underneath the glenoid, especially in the retroverted cases, so that it kind of points that glenoid a little bit more up towards me because in a retroverted glenoid, you really have to go, I call it going to the backside of the moon. Um, and that try I, I try to point the glenoid into my face a little bit more with that bump so they have better access posteriorly for it. Excellent, Rick. Thank you. Thank you, Gus. Excellent. And uh, I have a question for, for you. What about the CAM? The CAM procedure is a good step between conservative treatment and uh, prosthesis. What do you think about this and which is the main indication? Is the age a key point? Yeah, I think the age is a key point. However, I do think uh, that the type of arthritis or how much arthritis is there is probably more important. So um, in a patient with a very large inferior osteophyte and on x-ray, really no joint space, I don't think it's as helpful. If they have some joint space on the AP Grashy view uh, and say a smaller medium osteophyte that has failed conservative management, then I do think it's uh, a, uh, a worthwhile try. Uh, in learning from Peter Millett, who wrote this up, um, I use a mini C-arm. That helps me because when I'm down there arthroscopically trying to remove that inferior osteophyte, there's a lot of times when I think I'm going too much. I get scared that I'm taking too much bone away. And then when I get the x-ray, I see that, you know, I've nibbled off a tiny bit of it. So the x-ray or the C-arm, uh, when I'm doing that CAM procedure, has really helped me. The one, one, arthroscop one oh, go, go ahead. Oh, sorry, sorry, please, finish. No, I was going to say the arthroscopic capsule release uh, is very straightforward. Um, <clears throat> at most inferiorly, I'll usually use a biter. Uh, so that way I have control. I can kind of spread and then bite as I worry about the axillary nerve. Uh, but really the, um, the x-ray has helped me with that cam procedure, uh, trying to get that inferior osteophyte. Then I'll switch the scope. Sometimes I'll use a 70 degree scope as well. So either go from the front or the back, and then I'll, uh, remove both our anterior posterior osteophytes as well as the inferior osteophytes, and then the capsule release and then debridement of the loose cartilage and tissue. And Gus, is there any subacromial step in this kind of procedure or do you work only in the glenohumeral joint? I generally just work in the glenohumeral joint. I think that's, you know, that's kind of where the action is. We try to debride it, wash it out, capsule release, and then that inferior osteophyte. Dr. Millett also talks about kind of doing a neurolysis of the axillary nerve. I'm not that skilled. I kind of stay away from it at that point. Um, it's enough uh, anxiety for me just to get that inferior osteophyte out. But I do think, and I also, when I tell the patients, I really stress that we're not getting rid of the arthritis. And that's important for them to understand. A lot of times patients will be, if you're taking them to the OR, they think they're gonna you know, always get better. And I say, look, this is a chance. It may get better, it may not, but we're not changing the arthritis. The arthritis is still there. The lack of cartilage is still there. 
what we're trying to do is get more motion, get some of the loose bodies out and give you some pain relief to last a little longer than before we do the shoulder. What I also do at that time is I'll take samples to uh, test for um, C acnes to make sure they don't have any uh, C acnes at that time. And then I'm also able to look at the rotator cuff condition of the subscap and make sure everything's uh, good. Yes. Do you have any thoughts about resurfacing of humeral head in ABM? What is your, your opinion on resurfacing? What about the use of some type of different material? Do you have some experience about this? I, I don't use any different material for that, but I do like the resurfacing for avascular necrosis. Um, the reason why I like the resurfacing as opposed to kind of the standard hemiarthroplasty is because you can get the AVN out and in the future, you still have all options available to you if you need it. In other words, uh, if you need to convert that to a total shoulder for a reason, the resurfacing comes out and you can make a fresh head cut and then put in your total shoulder. So I like the idea of the resurfacing for avascular necrosis um, with collapse. A lot of times, if they have avascular necrosis painful before collapse, what we'll try to do is retrograde drill and then put some uh, concentrated bone marrow in there to see if that can help stimulate it to avoid it if they are symptomatic. But I do like the resurfacing uh, because it keeps all options open for the next step, either a total shoulder or a reverse. Absolutely, uh, guys, it makes sense. Another question, there are friends around the world that um, about the resurfacing are afraid of overstuffing. Do you have some technical advice to avoid overstuffing in resurfacing? Yeah, that's always a good point. And um, I actually um, use um, the uh, arthrosurface or now Anika, which is uh, an implant where you can actually measure the defect and you implant that at the level of the cartilage. So it's not, it's a, it's a resurfacing in, in situ as opposed to uh, placing a cap over the whole part of it. I'm ready for the next question. Oh yes, very good. <laughs> now, in, <laughs> um, in your practice, Giovanni, who gets a total shoulder and who gets a reverse? Okay, the, the age is the key point and the soft tissue is the key point. Uh, most of the time, when I think too much, like in, like in, in the, the stability, when I think too much, a bancard versus a latage, I do a latage. When I think too much an anatomic versus a reverse, I do a reverse. Of course, my dream would be to do an anatomic, you know, because uh, there is a better compliance with the patient, the clinical results uh, uh, are, of course, better. But most of the time in my patients, when they are older than 70, uh, I do reverse very easy, and I prefer the anatomic reverse. I try to make a central rotation much more lateral and to keep within lay configuration, the geometric center more medial. That is uh, uh, my effort to try to avoid the reverse uh, in uh, younger patients. 
Excellent point. Uh, the one thing that I've noticed and that I've adopted, and I agree with you on the reverse, but if I have a patient, say, younger than 70, but hasn't been able to reach their head or bring their arm up above, even if they have a rotator cuff that's intact, I will still perform a reverse in that case because in my experience, when I have done a total shoulder, when they start able to raise their arm above their shoulder, they start to have rotator cuff tendonitis and still have lateral shoulder pain, which is frustrating to them. And when I put the reverse in, they no longer have that. I explain that to the patient, but I think in the world of, um, you know, kind of post-operative results, the really the only thing that I've noticed is a slight decrease in internal rotation in the patients between a total and a reverse. They have great forward elevation. They have great abduction, very good external rotation. We make sure that when we do the reverse that they can touch their opposite arm. There's no impingement with the coracoid process. So I would say the one thing that I would add in a younger patient uh, would be if they haven't been able to reach above their head for a year, then I'll revert to a reverse in that case because I'm worried about the rotator cuff tendonitis later on. I agree 100% with you. Yeah, I agree 100%. Giovanni, give us some of your pearls and tricks for glenoid exposure. Uh, glenoid exposure is a, is a key point, especially in anatomic. In anatomic, the exposure of glenoid is much more difficult uh, compared to the reverse. There are surgeons that they prefer to do a large cut of the humeral head, but I don't like to do a large cut of humeral head to improve the visualization of the glenoid because the stability of the prosthesis, because the erroration and the vascular pattern for the calf, especially in uh, anatomic. So I do the cut exactly a level of the anatomic neck. For me, the trick is to perform a very extensive capsulotomy uh, that begin anteriorly, inferiorly, and posteriorly to the neck of the humerus. And I use three retractors that are the key point. One retractor is exactly in front of the scapular neck. The second retractor is exactly at 12 o'clock above the biceps. In the right shoulder, the third retractor is around between six o'clock and seven o'clock. And very important is the position of the humerus. I prefer to keep the humerus in external rotation with the cut of the osteotomy parallel to the posterior retractor. I don't like the internal rotation of the humerus because there is a lot of stress on the brachial plexus and the axillary nerve. Giovanni, some of us, when we go and try to do that capsule release that is so important, are worried about the axillary nerve. What tricks do you have when you do your capsule release inferiorly to help us do that capsule release inferiorly, making sure the axillary nerve is safe? I stay very close with the cautery to the humerus, to the bone, and uh, my axis tend make a gentle external rotation. But I don't go medial, very close to the bone, immediately uh, under the humeral head. So you take that inferior capsule off of the humerus and don't Absolutely, mess yes. with the glenoid. 
Absolutely. That is very important. Good point, Matt. Very good. And then while we're talking about the uh, total shoulder orthoplasty, why don't you tell us how you handle the subscapularis for your total shoulders? It's very, it's very easy because it's up to you. There are surgeons that prefer osteotomy, it works. Surgeons that prefer tenotomy, it works. Surgeons that prefer peel, peeling, it works. So it's up to you. In the literature, there is no difference. Personally, I do the peeling, but uh, I think that if you do uh, with the right technique, it works. Very good. Uh, and then when you're talking about your anatomic reverse, can you explain how you plan that? And are there any intraoperative anatomic landmarks that reassure you that you're lateralizing as much as you think you are? Okay, that's that's uh, there is a compute a computer tunnel program. You have to do that on the computer, and there are companies that they give you the possibility to match the anatomic shoulder with the reverse that you are going to build. Anyway, the biomechanical concept is to keep the center of rotation of the glenosphere much more lateral and the geometric center, that means the, the position of the humerus very close to the position of the natural shoulder. Like in the anatomic shoulder, we want the center of rotation very close to the geometric center. This is very important because keep the length of the muscles very close to the natural muscles during the run. When we do a middle lateral pattern, it's different. We are very far from the anatomy, but we have a better torque or better moment arm. So there are two main differences. Medial lateral improves the biomechanics. Lateral medial, that we can call anatomic reverse, is closer to the anatomic shoulder. This is the big difference, but we don't know yet if there is a clinical difference in the short, middle, long term. Excellent. And uh, we would like to thank uh, all the ISOCOS members that are listening to that. I'd like to thank uh, Giovanni for his great comments and ISOCOS. Bye-bye. Thank you, guys. Thank you. I really appreciate to share experience with you. Thank you very much. Bye-bye.